Please take your copy of God's Word now and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Taking up where we left off a few weeks ago, the words to which I would call your attention come to us from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Give attention now to the reading of God's Word. We do so as an act of worship. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's Word never will. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We ask that You would cause it to live in our hearts as it did in the the heart of Christ Himself, that it might be to us bread and life. We pray in His name. Amen. Um, The phrase... Post-Tenebras Lux was adopted by the reformers at the time in the 1500s and the 1600s as they were recognizing, having been awakened by the Holy Spirit, as they were recognizing some of the evils both in character or morals and in doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. In fact... Geneva, Switzerland, where John Calvin set up his headquarters, as it were, had that phrase imprinted on their coins, post-tenebras lux. It means light after darkness. They saw themselves as being in a time in which light was beginning to dawn again after the end of the Middle Ages. George Bernard Shaw calls the Middle Ages a thousand years without a bath. But the Roman Catholic Church had become the Holy Roman Empire and began to spread its doctrine of justification by faith and works. And with the work of men such as Martin Luther, God began to bring truth to bear on His people Again, unless you live under a rock, I don't need to prove to you that the world lives in a natural sort of darkness. We might even say these are dark days. But it is still the Lord's world. And it was God in His first 
declaration at creation who said, let there be light, and with the light darkness was banished. The world still needs light. Desperately. The cure for creation is not more politics. And we can change voting laws. We can fix the criminal justice system and immigration. And we can pass laws which declare that biological males only should participate in male sports. And those are good things. But the world would still be sick. If the flood of Noah demonstrated anything to us, it is this, that we can cleanse the world of all mankind except for eight people and sin would live on. The world needs light. And what we need is not more politics. What we need is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning... To bring light to a fallen world, we learn that Jesus moved the center of His ministry into a place called Galilee. Here, He would declare the Gospel and make disciples bringing light to a fallen world. Many divide Matthew's Gospel into three sections. They do so looking at a repeated phrase, and they begin with with this introductory material. I've said to you that chapter 1 through chapter 4 and roughly verse 17, where we'll get today, or 16, or maybe 11, whoever you read or listen to, is the first section. We've, We've learned all about the narrative of Christ's birth and His baptism, His temptation, and how He's overcome that, and now there's a a transition point. You notice in verse 17, from that time is a phrase that is repeated in chapter 16, verse 21, when Jesus will turn His attention from the region of Galilee and ministering there to Jerusalem and everything that must take place. And so that constitutes the third section. The preface, the Galilean ministry, and the journey to Jerusalem. But I want you to notice something that stands out in really stark relief. Look in verse 11 of chapter 4. Jesus says to Satan there, Be gone. It represents a decisive turn in the portrayal of Christ Jesus. To that point, we've seen Him as something of a passive figure. There's the genealogy representing his birth. And then he's in the hands of Joseph, his father. And Joseph took him to Egypt, and then Joseph brought him back. In fact, in that part of the narrative, he's not even mentioned by name. We move on to his baptism where he descends down from Nazareth to come and subject himself for your sake to the baptism of John. 
Very specifically, Matthew says he's taken up by the Spirit at that point and delivered into the wilderness where he is taken two times by the devil. You see, in, each, in all of that narrative, Jesus has sort of been being led along, being trained up, being raised up for the ministry. And then, in chapter 4 and verse 11, He opens His mouth in a command to the devil saying, Be gone! The time has come for action, for ministry. He has come forth now, led by the Spirit, to fulfill God's command, full of the Father's affection, filled with the Holy Spirit, victorious over the devil. He steps out now to fulfill the ministerial command of God on His life. And notice first of all in the text and His activity, Jesus moved His ministry to Galilee in verses 12-13. to Jesus' move here is in response to John's arrest. This is perhaps... John, uh, Matthew doesn't tell us exactly how much time has transpired. If you notice in verse 12, now when He heard that John had been arrested. When did that take place? We don't know. Some speculate perhaps a year Because you'll remember that in between Jesus' baptism and His temptation, He also visited Cana. He has turned the water into wine. He had developed something of a following in this southern region. So perhaps a year has transpired, and we're looking at roughly A.D. 28 when this took place. John was arrested. And in response to hearing of John's arrest, Jesus determined to move His ministry north to Galilee. John was arrested by a man named Herod Antipas. We talked about another Herod at the beginning of this Gospel, Herod the Great. Well, after Herod died, remember that his kingdom was given over to four sons, and they divided it into four different regions Herod Archelaus was a wicked, wicked man. And we've talked about that. His brother, Herod Antipas, was the ruler of a northern region of Galilee and down the edge of the Jordan to the east of Jerusalem. John, here literally, was betrayed. He was handed over. Something that will happen in Jesus' own life. Herod feared that John might cause an insurrection, might challenge his own power, and so he had him arrested and thrown into Machaerus Castle, north of the Dead Sea, where he would live out the remainder of his life until his daughter would dance and he would be beheaded. But Matthew leaves all of that out right now. We'll revisit that in chapter 14. But what you ought to notice here, read this very carefully with me again, verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew, he departed, he fled into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. 
again, these are insignificant words, it seems, but very significant as you think about the person of Jesus Christ. Christ in His divinity knows all things. He determines all things. He is sovereign over all things. He is a king with a divine right to rule over all of the earth. Christ in His humanity, like you, learns. And here He had learned of the arrest of John the Baptist and like you, He made a decision to respond to that. He moved north to Galilee, to Capernaum. There are several ancient heresies which looked at the person of Christ and said, yes, divine, no, to His humanity. He was perhaps a human carcass full of the Godhead. But here we have it in simple terms that he learned and he responded to what he learned. His life was not a rail car on a track. He noticed God's providence and he exercised wisdom just as you might. Why is that important at all? Why bring that out? Because when you approach Christ as the God-man, He is a man just as truly as you are, yet without sin. He is led by the Holy Spirit, supported by the divine nature. Jesus Move north was in response to John's arrest. His move north was to Capernaum. Capernaum was a, a city on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have visited there. And uh, the Sea of Galilee is north of Jerusalem. And at the very tip of that sea or lake, as Luke will call it, is a town called Capernaum. It is in Capernaum that Jesus will establish the headquarters of His ministry. Not in Nazareth. It is the place of Peter's home. It is the place where Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew himself will be called to be disciples of Christ. In all of this, we notice the humanity of Christ, who he was in reality. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, notices on this part that Jesus noticed John's plight and responded to it. He was aware of what John was going through. Just as he is aware of everything that is going on in your life and responds to you when you come to him. We ought also to notice that wherever darkness seems to prevail, God always provides light. God always has and always will provide light in the darkness. And Christ is that light. We see secondly, not only did Jesus move His ministry north, but here we find in verses 14 to 16 that Jesus' ministry fulfilled prophecy, bringing light to those who are in darkness. Read with me verses 14 to 16. 
so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus' northern ministry was in view of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. Hold your place here and turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 9. You'll notice if your Bible has headings... This is the chapter in which we read, For unto us a child is born. But we begin there in Isaiah 9, verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a, in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Matthew places, listen, Matthew places this passage as the backdrop for all of Jesus' northern ministry in Galilee. In all that is about to take place, in chapters 4 through 16, the backdrop is Isaiah 9. A light has dawned in the darkness. The context of this prophecy is that the northern tribes had fallen into deep idolatry and wickedness. You'll remember that right after Solomon died, Rehoboam, his son, became king, but the nation, the kingdom of the twelve tribes, was divided into two. The ten tribes in the north and the two, Judah and Benjamin, in the south. The one thing that sticks out about the northern kingdom, those ten tribes and their successive kings, is that there was never, ever a single good king. In fact, the very first thing that King Jeroboam did was build two golden calves and placed one at the north end of the kingdom and one at the south end so that the people could have a place to gather and worship their false gods. Naphtali, the son of Jacob, and his people inherited the northernmost part of this Ten kingdom nation. It ran along the western shore of the lake of Galilee and went far, far north. Zebulun bordered Naphtali just to the south. God judged these ten kingdoms for their idolatry at the hand of foreign nations. Assyria being the most powerful of them, and led them into captivity so that northern Israel became nothing evermore. But Isaiah, predicting that captivity, 
also held out hope to this people. The ministry of the Messiah would bring peace again. In this, you ought to see the Lord's great mercy. Think of it. Those who have worshipped idols, who have committed all kinds of atrocity against the Lord, all kinds of perversion, they have been an adulterous wife to Him. At the appearing of His Son Jesus, He sent Christ into that kingdom to proclaim peace again, to bring light again. He is, as it were, stretching out His arms to receive them. Proclaiming the gospel of grace. As you think about that. The question for you is, have you strayed from the Lord? Have you, like those northern kingdoms, begun walking unfaithfully? Are you feeling yourself more and more tempted to reject the way of the church and to walk after the way of the world? You ought to know that even now, Christ is ready to receive you. He is full of grace. And His message is a message to you this morning. Stop walking in darkness. And come to the light. We see here then that Jesus' ministry in those northern kingdoms was to bring light to those in darkness. Look again at the text. We have what is perhaps in verse 15, five regions, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness. Literally there, the term is the people who sit in darkness. They go about their business in darkness. They live, as we see, in the land and shadow of death. Darkness in Scripture represents delusion. It represents wickedness. It represents despondency, complacency. Well, these people in this region, they sat in darkness. It's something that we might do when a tornado or an ice storm comes along. We sit in darkness. You think about all the things that are taken away from you. The things that simple light give you the ability to do. Carry on your life. Cook dinner. In the darkness... We sit and we contemplate. You think about Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, perhaps. Blessed is the man who walks not in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat, is the final position he walks. He, he, sit, or he, he listens, he walks, and then finally he sits in the seat of the scornful. Here are a people who have taken that seat. They are not only evil, but they are content in their evil and delusion. So how are they to receive light? It has to come to them. And the light always does, doesn't it? 
When you turn on the switch, the light drives out the darkness. The light travels to the darkness. And here Christ goes to them to bring light into these dark places. Notice also the worldwide concept of the Gospel. This is Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the nations. A direct quote of Isaiah. The intent of God is that the Gospel should go forward to the nations. All the nations are in darkness. And Jesus' mission then is to bring light to them. Everything else. Listen. Standing as the backdrop, Isaiah is showing us that everything else that Christ will do undergirds and supports this mission of light bearing to the world. Lastly then, we see that Jesus brings light through His preaching. Jesus' ministry was preaching. Notice verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll notice that when Jesus took up this message, He's taking up the message we've already seen John declare. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But you also ought to notice that when Jesus took up this message, He is taking up the message (coughs) of every prophet who has gone before Him. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord... To Me you should return if you remove your detestable things from My presence and do not waver from Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? One of my favorites in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, when Israel are on the knife's edge of judgment, devastating judgment, the Lord looks upon them and says to them, yet even now declares the Lord, return to Me. Rend your heart, not your garment. This mantle has been placed upon Christ our prophet who comes now and He looks upon you and He says to you, return. Return. Lay aside your evil deeds. Stop sitting in darkness and walk in the way of light. Acknowledge the grace of the Lord. Rend your heart. Jesus walked in the footsteps of all the prophets. He took up the message of John the Baptist. Or what we ought actually to see here, folks, is that each of these prophets points to the message of the coming Messiah.
Jesus took up the message that got John thrown into jail. He took up the message that caused Jeremiah to be placed in a deep, dark pit. In other words, here Jesus takes up a message that has only ever resulted in the death of every man who came before Him. Your Lord is a Lord of courage, fearing not even death, He knew His calling and He pursued it unflinchingly. Why? Because if no one proclaims the message, no one is saved. And He cares so much about your salvation and mine that He brings the light into dark places. Those who are in darkness, sit in it. Those who bear the light must go. And Jesus proclaimed this message not because an invading foreign kingdom was coming in judgment as in the days of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Joel. He was proclaiming this message because the king and rightful heir of all the earth had come. And He is declaring to these people in Galilee and to you and me that citizenship in His kingdom is not by right of birth. It is through repentance. And it is available to all from every walk of life, from wherever you hail. If you're from Alabama, Mississippi, Mongolia, you enter the kingdom of God through faith and repentance. And all others, this is the warning. You see, for Israel, and later for Judah, if they refused to repent, they would face the judgment at the hand of a foreign invading army. But in our time, that judgment is coming. But it is not coming from a foreign army. It is coming from God Himself, who in the last day will judge every man by His deeds. Those who are in Christ will be judged by the deeds of Christ. Those who refuse Him face only His fury. In Christ Jesus... The light of the world has come. His message to the world was simple. Repent. Be converted. Like Him, our objective as the church of Jesus Christ is to take this message into the darkness to go to the dark places so that they too might have the opportunity to hear the message and come out to stand up to be delivered from death. We must take it to those sitting satisfied in their evil ways 
Will you do this as Christ has done for you? Let's pray. Father, what incredible mercy has been displayed here. That you would send your Son, your only Son, whom you love, the Lord Jesus, to a people who time and again had rejected you. An adulterous people. And we are one with them. We thank you that you sent Christ, your Son, to bring light. And we thank you that if we have acknowledged that light, it is because of the work of your Holy Spirit alone. We are a people who are content to sit in darkness. Help us to be faithful, not just to love the light, but to take that light as Christ did to the world. We pray in his name. Amen.